Good morning. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wednesday Bible study. It is Wednesday, right? Yeah, Wednesday. Yeah. I get confused still because it used to be Monday Bible study. Anyway, welcome. Welcome and join us as we talk about today. We're going to talk about praying and praying according to how Jesus told us to pray. So, I mean, what better tips are there about talking to God than from the Son of God, right, who had an amazing prayer life? Uh, and often went off on his own and spent hours and hours in prayer just to the Father. So if I'm going to take anybody's advice on prayer, I tell you right now, it's going to be Jesus. And that's what this is, you know. Um, I just heard someone say it this week. I'm, I'm convinced that they that they listen to my Bible study, although I'm not 100% sure because they're like a big name. But everything I say, I hear come out of this person's mouth. And one of the things they said was, if you were going to... If you heard that Jesus was going to give a sermon tomorrow at, at 8 o'clock in the morning, you, in person, you'd totally be there, um, 100%. You'd be on the front row, wouldn't you? Um, well, you know, that's what this is. That's what his, his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, which is where this is all from that we're talking about, is here. It's recorded. And we have a front row seat at a sermon... From the Son of God, I mean, how amazing is that? And I just love, even just as I, as I flip through the pages of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' uh, amazing, famous sermon, one of his most famous sermons, um, that I look, at the, I look at the headings, the different things that Jesus touched on. Um, just, you know, it's just so eye-opening. And I don't know how, I haven't done it before, where I've looked so closely at all the elements of the Sermon on the Mount. And I tell you right now, it's challenging me, uh, helping my faith, um, rub rubbing rough edges off my life, looking at the Sermon of Jesus, um, and just seeing how my life um, lines up with certain things that he's talked about, all the things he's talked about. Um, and I just, I'm just finding it completely a pleasure to look into this. But today, we're going to talk about... We're going to talk about prayer, but let's have a quick recap. So last week we talked about um, the importance of the heart in this sermon of, of Jesus uh, that he's talking about. Right, right from the Beatitudes, when we were talking about the Beatitudes, which were the blessed are the, you know, the poor in spirit and the, those that mourn and, and all those blessed. He, everything, 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 if you go back and listen, is always about the heart with God. And Jesus is just reiterating that again and again and again in his sermon, which makes me think, wow, the heart really is important to God. And we know that. We know that because Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So if you have a sick and, and burdened and heavy and, and, and stained heart, Everything you do is going to flow out from that. You know, it's going to be tinged with that. If you have a healthy um, heart that loves God and is humble and and contrite before him and, and just loves the Lord, everything you do is going to flow out of that and it's going to be tinged with that. So you can see why it's so important. Um, okay, and, and that, I read it to you in the NIV, that everything we guard your heart for everything we do flows from it. I like how it is in the NLT. That's a different, um, it's, it's the same Bible, just a, just slightly different wording. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Oh my goodness. I mean, both of those interpretations of that, of that verse are so important. It determines the course of your life, success or, or failure, life or death. Um, hope or hopelessness, you know, joy or mourning, uh, you know, eternal life or, or not, eternal damnation. I mean, for goodness sake. And that flows from out of your heart and the course of your life depends on it. How important is the heart? Let's just, as we continue to read the Sermon on the Mount, and actually as we continue to read the whole entire Bible, if you take that thought and say, well, to God, it's always about the heart. Okay, with that thought, I am now going to read this scripture. It's going to change your perspective on the word of God, and you're going to see it how it was always meant to be seen, through the eyes of God, 
through, through the lens that Jesus is giving us right here. Okay. Now, this isn't like a new thought that Jesus is bringing for the New Testament. Oh, this new thought about the heart. Jesus point out, points out that it's not just sticking to the law as in, well, I haven't murdered anyone because under the law, we shall not murder, right? Because that's true, isn't it? We shall not murder. But Jesus brings it to the next level and tells us, it's, again, it's about the heart. But even hating your brother or sister, thinking um, evil words about them, like thinking, oh, that big fool. And it actually says that in the scripture. It uses a word. I, I don't know how to exactly pronounce it, but what word raka or whatever. It just, just means like fool. Um, hating your brother or sister. Even that, God doesn't want that in your heart. And it's tantamount to murder, okay, in the eyes of God. Basically, okay, it's not, it's not exactly murder because we wouldn't put someone in prison for, for hating their brother or sister, but it is sin, just like murder is sin, okay? And God wants us to deal with the heart issues. He says, hey, deal with that hate in your heart before you bring a gift, before you do your religious duty. Take care of the heart first. Get it right with your brother and sister, Okay, and that shows us God always desired to have people serve him out of devotion and love for him. You know, and he says in a number of places in the scripture, and here's a paraphrase, that he would, um, that he was going to give his people a new soft heart, a humble heart before him. And his laws were going to be written on their heart rather than on tablets of stone. And remember, we talked about that those laws written on the stone were symbolic of, of the of our hearts being like stone, you know, at one time before God gives us a new, soft, humble, devoted heart to him, um, that it's like those laws were written on stone. And when it's written on stone, it's, it's, we do things because we have to. I do this because that's what the law says, you know, and I can hate my brother in my heart or I lust after this one in my heart, but as long as I don't do carry out the actual deed, God is saying, no, he wants these written the law is written on a soft heart that loves God, that's devoted to him because that is how it was always meant to be. That's how God really wanted it. Hebrews 8.10 says this, for this, and this is the New Testament, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And you can see from I will be their God and they shall be my people, that God wanted to be in relationship with the people. He wanted to be their God. Imagine he wanted to be that personal God, and he wanted it so that they are my people, you know, in a good way, not in a, you know, you might think, you know, that God is saying you're mine, you know, with some attitude that's like, you know, um, I don't know, horrible in some way, but no. But what he wanted to say, just like a parent would say of his children, those are mine. And in an embrace, a love, you know, you're part of my family, you know, and that carries so much weight that we are part of the family of God, that he is our father. That just changes the whole dynamic of things. And we're going to see that in what we talk about today, that that is exactly the dynamic that Jesus is speaking of, of a father loving his children. Okay, so Jesus also spoke of doing our good deeds or our righteousness, living out our, the righteous life that we've now been, been given to please God and not to please people. Again, the heart attitude of wanting to please God and not just get people to notice how great we are. You know, when he talked about that, um, we talked about that last week through giving, you know, people giving their alms, doing their... Um, righteous duty, because God expects us to give. It's not, it, it, he doesn't say if you give, he says, and when you give. So us giving of finances to the work of God, in that case, it was the synagogue. In our case, it is in the, to the church. Um, that he says, don't give like the hypocrites, where would they give to be seen? Like they take the wad of money out and they kind of flash it before and Jesus even says, you know, that the hypocrites even wanted like a whole fanfare of trumpets and what and watch me give and look how holy I am. That's their reward. Hope they enjoyed it that everyone saw because that's it. That's the reward. There will be no heavenly reward when that person sought 
Their heart attitude was to be seen by men so they could say, ooh, how righteous is that person? No, we must do these things in secret. And secret is, a, is an act of the heart. It's not necessarily getting all weird about it and being like, I'm putting my money in the offering and I'm trying to hide it. No, it's, it's an attitude of the heart. Okay, now, today, Jesus continues his sermon. And again, you're going to have to forgive me because I have a bit of a cold and I'm just struggling for breath a little bit here, but I'm, I'm okay. But if you see me just like, that's what it is. Jesus continues his sermon today and it'll continue in the mode of what is going on in the heart. Uh, and when, um, today he's going to talk about prayer, okay, and, and aspects of prayer, Okay, and again, remember, we come at this is with, with, it's an attitude of the heart, okay? Now, we're going to begin with Matthew 6, 5, okay? We're in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to do verses 5 through 15. And it says, and when you pray, again, it's a given. Jesus is expecting his followers to have a prayer life. Not, and if you pray, or if you choose to pray, or when you pray now and again, and when you pray... Okay, that's what Jesus opens up with about prayer. All right, so it's it's a when and not an if. I hope you have a prayer life. If you don't, get a prayer life. Basically, all that is is pray every day. Pray a little bit of time every day, maybe a lot of bit of time. But find time to pray, okay? Set time aside. Jesus expects that. That's an expectation of one of his followers. And when you pray, okay... And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. It's the same with prayer as it is in the giving, that it's, we don't do it to be seen, to have, to, isn't it weird, a weird thought that people would be impressed by your words of prayer? I mean, that's kind of weird if you think about it. Because prayer is always meant to be between you and God. It's a personal thing. It's nothing to do with the people watching. And, and this is not to Jesus saying, oh, I don't like corporate prayer. Don't you dare pray in a meeting together with other people where they can hear you. No. He's very into corporate prayer. We see that in the book of Acts. They're praying in a room together out loud. So it's not Jesus saying no corporate prayer. He's saying the attitude of your heart when you pray is must be. This is to be seen by God and not to be seen by men. And he talks about it to not be like the hypocrites. Again, let's talk about what Jesus said was a hypocrite. Because we have our views and our modern views and our society's views of what a hypocrite is. And Christians are often all just pasted with the same brush by the world and sometimes by other Christians too, with bad attitudes, I might add, that all Christians are hypocrites. None of them live out their life, you know, correctly. Well, no, that is not true. Jesus said, hypocrites, when hypocrites go to the synagogue, and I would add, when hypocrites go to church, not all, some, some with this attitude, um, and that what a, a hypocrite is, according to, to Jesus, is someone who, um, someone who is saying one thing, but living out, and but, but, but what's going on in the heart is different. So they're saying, they're showing their money. Ooh, look at me, I'm so holy. But inside, there's no devotion to God. I want to be seen by men. It's when they pray out loud for others to see, but they don't, but there's nothing going on in their heart with God. It's not that what's going on in the heart is different from what's happening. The actions look good, but is the action, but is, is the, is the world of the heart. Okay, and that's between you and God. Okay, prayer, Jesus is saying prayer should not be like the hypocrites, but prayer should be directed toward God and not other humans. Okay, and when you pray in a way that you're just trying to impress others, but there's nothing really going on there, that's your reward. Okay, there will be nothing more. There will be no heavenly reward for a hypocritical kind of person and prayer. Okay. He actually says this, okay, but when you pray, again, when, not if, go into your room and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in, a, who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Okay, I love that. When you go in the room, you shut the door. Does this mean... 
like I said, only corporate prayer? No. I said it's, it's, but Jesus is saying prayer should primarily be in the secret place. We should go in a quiet place in your room where others cannot see you. And can I say this? I love this. If nothing else for me stood out, it's this one little piece that in my reading and in my studying I picked up. That the specific ancient Greek word here for room was used for a storeroom where treasures were kept. Isn't that beautiful? It's when you go into your secret place, into your quiet room, whatever room that is. It could be in your car, if the, you know, if that's where you chose to pray that day. He's not speaking of a specific room, but he is speaking of a specific idea. And the idea is that when you are going into prayer with you and God, you are going into a storehouse where treasures are kept treasures that you're going to be getting from God. He's going to be showing you things, bringing things to your mind as you pray, reminding you of scriptures as you pray, as you bring him petitions and prayers and problems. And, and as you're coming to him, he's going to be highlighting things to you that are going to be worth more to you, like a treasure, than that actual lump of gold because it's going to be answers to your prayer, wisdom that you needed, um, a picture or something that he's going to bring you that lines up with the word of God and, 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 and how, what a treasure that is. And, and every time we close our door of prayer, let's go in with that attitude that Jesus is talking. When you go into your room, that storeroom where treasures are kept, keep that in your mind. There's treasures waiting for us in our prayer closet. Wow, that's just, for me, that just blew my mind when I studied this. And, and like I said, sometimes when I'm studying this stuff, certain stuff just, just highlights to me. And I think I'm going to take that away with me. And that's part of me forever now, that every time I go into prayer, I am going into a place where treasure is waiting for me in my prayer closet. You know, even the presence of God himself, he is such a treasure. You know, I always go back to that scripture from the Psalms that says, that David said, even being near you, speaking of God, does me good. Treasure in itself. So you shut the door of your prayer closet, which indicates privacy and being alone with God. An audience of one, where the only one to impress is God. That's the only one. That's where he wants you. And that's where it matters. We want our prayers to matter, to count, to be heard by 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 the one that can, the only one who could do things for us sometimes and, and not toward men. Okay, now Jesus tells us how to pray. Um, we look at verses seven and eight. And when you pray, again, third time he's saying this, and when you pray, do not use vain repeti repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. Again, like the hypocrites and these people who just have these vain repetitions. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Okay, so one, no vain repetitions. Words with no meaning. You know, things like... Sometimes let's ask ourselves, why, are, why am I saying this? You know, even if we come into prayer and we start the same way, or we say, oh, holy, omnipotent, wonderful, good, great father... Did you even think of any of those words and what they actually meant? Have you actually thought or did you just say all that like this, just this vain repetitions like, oh, it sounded good, sounded holy. You know, what do you mean by that? Just come to God and say what you mean. Say it with sincerity. Say it with your heart. And if that is, oh God, I come to you today and I just love you. Thank you for the sunshine, the beautiful sunshine that's out there today, God. I just love it so much. It's beautiful. It says so much about you, God, that you would make a beautiful sunshine for everybody in the whole vicinity to enjoy, whether they're godly or not godly. That says so much to me. You know, God would prefer that than vain repetitions and words that mean nothing to you. Okay, so we need to come to him. Don't just bring repetitions and think because I say it so many times, you know, I'm pressing a button in God. I'm going to get something out of him. No, let's not do that. Let's bring words with sincerity and words with meaning. They mean something to us. You know, he wants to hear from you, not from just, 
I don't know, some prayer book. He wants to hear it from you, from your heart, okay? Remember, it's the heart that matters. Don't just make noise, okay? And it says, Jesus said, your father knows what you need before you ask. Well, that's a beautiful comfort that I don't need to come to him and explain every little detail of every little thing that's going on. Lord, did you know? Did you hear? I just think I need to come to you today, God, because I just think you might not be aware of this. But, and you pour out your problem. Actually, he knew it pff, way before, like always. He knew it. So then this brings us a question. If he knows what you need before you ask, why do we need to ask? Right? Why do I need to ask? And, and I'll tell you this. I think prayer is more about God doing us a favor rather than us doing God a favor. We're not doing him favors. He wants to hear from us because he's good and kind and loving and he's a father. But I think prayer is something that God knows us, knows how we are wired, knows the makeup of the very soul and, and, and spirit and body of who we are. And he knows we need prayer. We need it. We are wired to pray. It does us good. He, we're not praying so that we can let him know what's going on. But, but because prayer is a way for us to unburden ourselves, okay? For us to get peace because we pour out before him. It's like sometimes I say, God, I know you know all this, but I'm going to pour my heart out before you anyway. And, and symbolically, Lord, or maybe not even symbolically, maybe actually it's like me bringing a bundle of trouble, a big bag of burdens and laying them at God's feet. And sometimes just me seeing it that way helps me to unburden myself, that I'm taking my big bag of troubles. You ever read um, Pilgrim's Progress, where the character in the book Pilgrim's Progress is carrying this big burden, this bag of literal, because it's, it's literal, like they, he, you know, and, and he carries it, and he's, he's taking this big bag of burdens on his journey with us. Well, God wants us to take that big bag of burden, and he wants it to us to put it at the throne room right by his feet and say, I, I'm giving it to you, you know, casting our burdens. We pray because uh, we come to God to be empowered by him and to allow him to inspire us. Like I said, we come to God, but we need to view it as Jesus viewed it, that room, that storehouse where treasure, treasures are waiting for us in our prayer closet. God doesn't need treasure. He's, he's got all the treasure there is. He's perfect. He's wonderful. He's, he's complete without us, but we are not complete without him. So us praying is more about prayer. Sometimes I think we, when we wrongly view it, it's like a burden, like, oh, I got to make time for prayer. You know what? We are making time to go and get treasure. We need to change our thinking on prayer, that prayer is Wow, I'm going into a storehouse where I'm going to come loaded and laden with treasure. When I leave that place, I'm not leaving there the same. God himself is going to deposit things into my life during prayer. And prayer isn't just about talking to God. It's coming with the word of God and saying, God, I read this, bringing things. You know, this is his book, his inspired word. Take it to the author and ask the author to explain to you what things mean. Ask him, Lord, are you speaking to me? What are you saying to me through this word here? I've read this and it's, it's doing something in me and I'm not sure what, and I'm not sure, wow, God, can you explain to me what you meant by this and sit and think about it? And then, like I said, you know, we just go to him and the Holy Spirit is our teacher. You know, we could come back with treasure, like, unreal from our prayer time. And that's how we need to pray. That is why we pray. If he knows everything before we pray, then you know what? There's other reasons to pray that rather than to let just God know our problem. Prayer is more about you coming to God and him saying, come on, my child, come on, let me give you strength. Let me comfort you. Let me show you a different perspective on things. Let me lift your faith. Let me give you hope. You know, that's what prayer is about. And when we view it that way, we will be hungry to pray because I'm sorry about that, but our flesh is quite naturally very selfish. And if we can see what we can get out of it, it will inspire us to pray. But also just being in his presence does us good. He's so good. He will, 
take all the rough edges off of us and, and just make us more like Jesus, even just as we're sitting in his presence, basking in his beauty. And that's, that's in, in, in the private, just between you and God. It's a beautiful thing. And you will, as you begin to do that, get a private time with God, a secret place with you and God, you will be hungry for that secret place. And it will become a source of tremendous strength to you when you get the real, wow, I really understand better now what prayer is and what's happening. It's not so much about you pouring out to God, although that's going to happen. It's about God just like a waterfall pouring out into your life as well. And you should never leave prayer the same. You should never leave, go in burdened and come out more burdened or, or just as burdened. You didn't do it right. <laughs> and you need to go back in and you need to just go in that pr prayer place again. And you need to say, Father, I need you. I need you in this secret place. I don't know what I'm doing, but you do. And you be the teacher, you be the father, I'll be the child, you just show me what to do. You know, it's a place where we can come and be humble before him and we can be honest and bare before him and say, listen, God, it's all too much for me. I need you. You know, I need you. I need that plate. Uh, I need that secret place strength that only you can give me. Okay. And Jesus gives us a model prayer. That's what good teachers do. They give you examples, right? And he gives us probably his most famous prayer, which is the Lord's Prayer. You know it. I know you know it. We're going to look at it in a minute. And it is the model prayer that Jesus gives us. Now, let me just point out this to you. We were never to make the Lord's Prayer into a prayer that we pray word for word, um, like a vain repetition. And that's sort of what, in a sad way, People have taken the Lord's Prayer and they say it and it doesn't have that much meaning to, the, to them. It's just, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the daily bread. There, I said my bit. You know what? There is such power in looking at this model prayer. And that's all it was meant to be, was a model of what prayer should look like. It is powerful because Jesus prayed it, but he's showing us how to pray, giving us a framework for those of us who don't know how to pray. If you say, I don't know what to pray, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do when I get into the secret place. Well, he's telling us what to do right here. He gives us a model prayer. And we aren't to make it into a vain repetition where we pray this prayer not knowing what it means. or um, But he wants us to fit our prayer into the framework of what he just prayed and said, well, this is how to pray. And you know how we know it's a model prayer for us? is because Jesus says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus was sinless. He had nothing to repent of. He had nothing to ask forgiveness for. This prayer was for us and not for him. Okay, he's not praying this prayer and saying, pray this exact prayer. He's saying, you pray this prayer because he had nothing to ask forgiveness of. Okay, so this is a model prayer that he's putting out for our sake. All right, so let's look at it. And it begins like this. All right, where are we? I'm going to read it out and then we're going to talk about it. Our father, he says, in this manner, therefore pray. He didn't say pray this prayer. He said, pray like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name means holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts or our sins as we forgive those who sin against us or, the, or debtors against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let me just point out before we even begin that that last bit, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Um, uh, scholars don't necessarily believe that that bit was part of Jesus' original prayer. And it often says that in the, in the uh, side notes of your Bible. Um, they believe that th that may have been added later. So um, I'm just pointing that out. But it's not a lie, is it? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It is. It is. I just don't know that it was in the original prayer of Jesus. But it doesn't matter really because it doesn't change what Jesus showed us. Okay? Let's look at it. It begins with our Father. All right? You know, 
prayer is not meant to be with some being way out there that we don't really feel any connection with. Um, but it's always meant, and it has always meant to be, and Jesus is showing us that it is a child speaking to his or her father. You are with family when you are, if you are in the child, uh, if you are a child of God, you are with family. And it expresses a privileged and an intimate relationship, that father son, father-daughter relationship. And you know, it was unusual for the Jews to refer to God in this way. It was not really done. But Jesus is telling them here that this is the best way to pray, to know that he is their father. Um, so when you come to prayer, know that he is your father. If you're a child of God, he is your father. And don't just speak to him as God. That's cold. You know, speak to him as he is. He is family. He is father, all right? Also notice that he says, our father, and not my father. Had he said my father, again, that would be Jesus' prayer for himself. Watch me pray, guys, all right? Um, but he's saying our father, and he's revealing to these people and to us that God wants to be our father, not just Jesus' father, okay? He's saying now, Come on, brothers, sisters, my followers, he is our father. And we are to refer to him as our father. We are in the family, all right? Important to come as our father. Jesus makes that clear. I love that. It is a family affair prayer. Our father who is in heaven, who art in heaven. He's not just any regular earthly father in case you're coming at this with a bad uh, representation of what a father is because you had a bad father or you never had a father, but he is the ultimate father. And Jesus is saying, our father who is in heaven, you know, he's talking about a heavenly, perfect, holy father who is our father, our personal. Okay. So he's holy. He's not just regular. He's not just some earthly dad who can get it wrong. All right. He's a holy father. Uh, uh, a heavenly father. Holy is your name. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he's acknowledging God's holiness, his set apartness of his name. He's not like any other father. And Jesus is praying that God's will be done, even on this earth, this messed up earth, just like the will of God is done in heaven. Wow, what a beautiful prayer. Can you imagine that scenario if everything on earth was done to the will of God? If people would be obedient to God, we would love each other. We would have no bitterness and hatred. Um, there would be no disobedience, you know? Uh, there would be uh, peace, you know? Think about it. If everything was done like it, like, um, like it was in heaven, the will of God done on earth, earth, exactly like it is in heaven. Um, uh, nobody in heaven does anything against the will of God. You know, we all are obedient to God. Jesus perfectly showed us this, um, th this prayer carried out in his own life, even as he faced the cross. Did you know that? That he prayed this and he showed this in his life when he said in the garden of Gethsemane, you know, God, the, I'm facing the cross here. And if, if this cup could pass from me, that would be great if I don't have to go through this. But nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus was all about fulfilling whatever was the will of God and carrying that out in his life. And he's saying that we need to be praying that about our life here on earth, that Lord, let it be even as it is in heaven. Let it be carried out here, even in my life, in my world, in my surroundings, as it is in heaven. Wow, that's a heavy prayer. You think, wow, can that be? Well, Jesus exemplified a life where he lived it out. And he's telling us that we can pray that prayer. And if we can pray that prayer, it means that Jesus, that God can answer that prayer. Wow. Okay. All right, give us this day our daily bread. You know, when he says that bread here, yes, it represents our needs, our physical needs. But it also represents anything we need to live that um, 
that might not necessarily be food, you know, like we need our food and we're praying that God provides even our, our basic needs, but anything we need for that day. And it might be other things like direction, wisdom, comfort, help, but it also includes things, like I said, like food. This shows how God cares about our lives and understands that, uh, that we come with needs. He gets it. He gets it that we come with needs. And that's okay. He knows that we are not self-sufficient. And the sooner we realize that in life, that we are not self-sufficient in any way, you know, whether that's in, in food, getting food, you know, we have to search for food. We have to grow food. We have to glean food. We have to go to the supermarket and pay money for food. You know, it's not just there. He understands that need. He also understands the need that we are going to need other things at times, like his comfort and his wisdom. And we've been talking about that in, in main church here in, in Portsmouth. And, and Pastor Andy talked about it as manna life. And he referred back to the fact that just like in the children of Israel every day having to collect with a jar, God said, go out every day and the food will be there. Collect just enough for what you need for that day. And if they collected too much and were greedy, then it turned to worms. But what they needed was there and there was enough for every member of that family. That was actual, but it's also symbolic that our lives are meant to be lived in relationship, daily relationship with God, daily getting what we need. You know, the peace and the hope and the faith that we had yesterday and the comfort that we got yesterday, it's not here today. We have to get it today from God, fresh, new, fresh, new manna, our daily bread. Give us this day today again, fresh God, our daily bread. I, I needed peace yesterday. I needed food yesterday. I needed um, what I needed yesterday, but today's a new day, God, and I need fresh and new manna today from you. And I know you are faithful and true and, and you'll give that to me today as I go to you. Again, it's about why we pray. Every day, there's things we need, things you don't know you're going to need later in the day. We could just pray, blanket it, and say, give us whatever I'm going to need today, God. You know better than I know about my basic needs that I'm going to need today. And it's about our needs and not our greeds. Isn't that a good saying? It's not my saying. I read it in a commentary, but I thought, that's going to stick with me, you know? It's not about our greed. It's about our need. You know, he doesn't want you to be praying and God, I pray for, you know, for everything for the next 20 years. No, he said, pray about today. Pray for what you need today. And he's faithful. And each day at the end of that day, you're going to see the faithfulness of God. And that's what it's about. It's about walking in relationship, in, in, in a holding his hand close kind of way, you know? And, and it's about that man of life, that dependence of God, depending on God daily. Did you know depending on God daily for what we need is a good thing? It's not a curse to go into a new day not knowing if you'll have what you need because it's not there, but knowing the faithfulness of God and knowing based on that, that what you need will be there. And in a world of shifting sand and uncertainty, reliance upon God is the only solid ground. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to know that, hey, what I need, I don't know. Uh, the bread for tomorrow, I don't know that it's there. But I know tomorrow when it comes, it will be there because I trust God. Not because I trust the bread, but because I trust God. He is not shifting sand. He is solid ground. Okay, the next bit. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive those who sin against us, Lord. Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. You know, we are to ask forgiveness. You know, I've heard people pray, oh, we are never to ask forgiveness in our relationship with God because Jesus covered all of us. Let me just tell you something. In any relationship, and I, let's say a parent-child relationship, a friend-to-friend -friend relationship, or a marriage relationship, there's going to become there's going to be times when you say or do things that aren't right because you're only human, right? And in a relationship, it is only normal and it is only natural to sometimes have to say, "I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say that. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that." It's only normal. 
And when anyone tries to tell me I don't need to ask the forgiveness of God, I just think, oh, obviously that person never read the Lord's Prayer. They just never read that prayer. Because Jesus is saying, forgive us our debts, God. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. I need to sometimes say sorry to God for, I don't know, things. I worried today, God, which means I didn't trust you. I was bad to somebody today, God. I, I, you know, I, I said a mean thing, and I'm really sorry about that, God. You know why I say sorry to God? Because I never want anything to cloud my relationship with him. I never want anything to get in my way because I love him, and I want to keep the airways clear. I don't want there to be things wrong between brother and sister. That's why we forgive others. And I don't want anything wrong between me and God. And sometimes something bad between me and a brother or a sister, and I need to forgive, that gets in the way of me and God. So I'm, I'm going to keep short accounts. And I'm just going to say, I am so sorry. I am so, 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 so sorry. Also, if I choose not to forgive another person when God has forgiven me, that shows me I don't understand grace. I don't understand the grace that's been extended to me. I don't understand the evil of sin and how bad sin is. And remember, we talked about the Beatitudes. We said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus says, you're blessed when you understand just how bad sin is. And when I can't forgive someone else, that means I don't understand what God forgave me. And I don't understand that even the sin that I thought in my life, eh, it's not so bad. No, sin stinks and it's bad. And I need to understand that. That means I don't understand the grace that God had for me, which means I can therefore not extend grace. And that means there's a problem and I need to pray about that and say, God, help me to understand what I have been forgiven of and the grace you've extended toward me. Because me understanding that is going to help me forgive someone else their debt against me because I'm going to more fully understand just how God cut me free. Therefore, I'm going to be able to cut that person free and extend grace. Okay. And also, it's, it's, it's a non-negotiable. Forgiveness is non-negotiable. You have to do it. As a Christian, I don't care what they've done to you, how bad that is. And you might say, but Gina, you don't understand what they did to me. I know it could be bad and I know it could be terrible sometimes the sins that people have against us, the things they've done to us, the things they've said about us. And you know, so far what I'm seeing in the entire Bible here and in this entire, all the Beatitudes, is that just before Jesus went, remember that famous time when Jesus, we talked about it, Jesus went up onto that, into the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil to sin all those times. Did you know just prior to that, he was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, which shows me, and Jesus is, uh, got filled with the Holy Spirit to show us that we can't do anything. We can't live out this life of God without the Holy Spirit and without the helper and without the one who is called alongside us to help us to live this out. You can't do it without the Holy Spirit. It's good when you realize, I can't do that. I can't forgive that person. It's a good thing when you realize that. Because you can't. And that is going to make you come again into that secret place again. And cry out in humility. And just say, I can't do it, God. And you know what God says back to you the day you say that? Oh, my child, I'm so glad you realized it. I'm so glad you realized that you don't have anything without me. I am so glad that you realize. And you know what that is? That's the first beatitude that he talked about. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The day you realize I bring nothing to the table. I have no energy and strength in the spirit without you, God. That's the day he says, you got it. You got it. That's the Christian life. You got nothing without me. You can't do any of this without me. It is not by might and it is not by power, our own human effort, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord. And the day we realize that and we bow our knee and say, help me, God, he says, that's it. I can help you now because it's, you're, this is not about your human strength anymore. You know what? In my own personal life, I have, a, I have a testimony of there was someone I could not forgive. Eight years, I held a grudge. 
I, I tried to justify it. I tried everything. And one day in a meeting where the, the presence of God was so powerful, I just felt that the minister said, you know, if there's anything in your life that you just need to throw onto the fire and let God burn up, just do it. And I said, you know what, God, I'm ready to do it by your power. I know I can do this by the spirit. And I, and I imagined myself taking that unforgiveness, throwing it on a big altar and getting it burned up. And I was changed forever. I have never been the same again. I have not held a grudge against that person. I have only felt love and I have only felt care. I've prayed for this person and it's genuine. Not by might, not by power, but by the spirit of God. He can help you forgive even the most unpardonable of sins. Okay. Okay. Where are we? Uh, okay. Um, and do not lead us in temp and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay. The word used here for temptation and lead us not into temptation is the same word uh, which is used when Jesus was being tempted by Satan. It's the same word. When Jesus was being tempted, Jesus is saying we need to pray that God does not lead us into that temptation. And that word means being enticed towards sin or, or to being tested in a trial. Now, I just need you to realize James 1.13 says this. When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. God doesn't tempt us, okay? For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person, and I think this is the, the clue here, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Okay? So what Jesus is praying here is he's saying, lead us not into temptation. Lord, don't let us be dragged away by our own evil desires, by the desires of our flesh. It's okay to pray that, to say, God, my flesh is weak. I could, I'm not a, my flesh is not greater than anybody else's flesh. And people, you know, the flesh likes what it flesh, uh, likes what it likes. You know, it likes to be pampered and it likes an easy life and it likes to go, oh, but it feels good. And so I want to do it. And, you know, and that's the philosophy of the world. So they're only going to feed into that. But Jesus is saying, pray against that. You're allowed to pray against that and say, and Lord, don't let me be dragged away by my own evil desires and enticed. Don't let me. And we see that Jesus was victorious when he was tempted by the devil. Why? Because again, he's Jesus, but he had the help of the spirit of God like we do. And God doesn't want to see us fall into this trap of sin. He wants every believer to just emerge victorious and to abstain from sin. That's what he wants. And he gave us the perfect example in his own life. And God would never willingly put anything in our way, a roadblock that's going to cause us to stumble. So you need to know it's not God, but it's our own evil fleshly desires. And we are allowed to pray, God, don't let my flesh have the upper hand here. Don't let the devil have the upper hand, the evil one have the upper hand here. But Lord, by your strength, you help me. Again, praying for the help of God in our weaknesses. And the best way to prevent sin is to stop the temptation dead in its tracks. When we pray to God, he can help us not be led into, a t into temptation. He will help us come out of that temptation without sinning. If we pray for his help, his guidance, and his strength. And um, I have to read, this is such a good example. And it's not my example. It's from uh, something I read um, that is from something called Got Questions. It's an article. And it was about that line, lead us not into temptation. And, and I, it was just so brilliant. I have to read it. And I'm almost finished here. Okay. And this is what it says. Jesus um, we might illustrate Jesus' words, lead us not into temptation, like this. A mother takes her young child grocery shopping with her and comes to the candy aisle. And she knows that taking her children down that aisle will only stir up greediness in their hearts and lead to bouts of whining and pouting. So in wisdom, she takes another route. Whatever she may have needed down the candy aisle We'll have to wait for another day. In this way, the mother averts unpleasantness and spares her children a trial. 
Praying, lead us not into temptation, is like praying. God, don't take me down the candy aisle today. Oh, I laughed when I read that because I remember that from the days when my kids were small, avoiding the candy aisle. It's recognizing that we naturally grasp for unprofitable things and that God's wisdom can avert the unpleasantness of our belly aching. Isn't that just a beautiful way to see it? When we pray, lead us not into temptation, Lord, it's saying, Lord, don't take me down that candy aisle today. Don't allow me to be taken down that candy aisle today. Give me strength, Lord. And just recognizing our own weakness. And again, that it's we are weak, but he is strong, okay? Um, okay, and listen to this. The last bit of today, verses 14 and 15. Again, he's finished praying now, but he ends that section with this. And it's again about forgiveness. For if you, so he ends with, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So he's done praying. And then he says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespass, neither will your father forgive your trespass. Eek. Oh my goodness. So he ends the Lord's prayer um, where he had talked about forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who uh, sin against us. We see how important to God, because he's reiterating this again, that we forgive just as we have been forgiven. So he's reiterating the idea of forgiveness that he just prayed about, that he just showed us how important it is to include that in our prayer. And if Jesus is highlighting this, we need to take note that we need to forgive others. If it, We need to for, be forgiven but we are forgiven on the basis that we forgive others. And Jesus has just reiterated this point that he finished with already, and now he's come back to it. How important is forgiveness? Oh my goodness. You know, if you're struggling with forgiveness this week, come to God just like you would for any of the other things and just this whole Christian life and just come to him in the secret place and say, I need your help, oh God because God is our helper. God is our strength. He's the one that will help us so that we are not led into temptation. He will be the one who, um, even like this, it just reminds me quickly, um, when, when he looked at Peter and he said, Peter, he said, the devil is going to try and sift you. I don't even know what that means. He's gonna to try to really mess your life up, Peter. But Jesus said, but I have prayed for you, Peter. And when you come through this, you're gonna be on top again. In that way that Jesus prayed that for Peter, when we're praying for God to deliver us from temptation and help us in our weakness, he is gonna give us the strength that we need and he is going to bring us out victorious because he is our helper amen anyway i hope that helps you to talk about the lord's prayer and to look a little bit closer at that well we'll see you next week have a great week this week and god bless